Dad presents. This is going to be a different kind of episode than what you're used to. No guests, no co-hosts. It's just going to be you and me, and we're going to be talking about something that I feel is very important. And today happens to be my birthday, so I'm happy to share that with you. Um, this is going to be a new series. It's going to be like a seven or eight part series because I feel it's time for Americans to start to heal and unite. I feel this is really important. We're divided more than I can ever recall in my lifetime. And we need to come together and recognize that we mostly want the same things in life. You know, we want, we want health for ourselves and our family. We want to be able to put a roof over our heads and food on the table. We want our children to grow up in a safe environment where they can grow and learn and have fun and thrive and make friends and, and you know, and we're on the same team. You and I, we're on the same team. It's the elites, the politicians, the media, the billionaires. They are our common enemy and we need to start calling that out and uniting with one another against them if we're going to get anything accomplished and, and get this thing to progress and, and get better. I mean, I've seen families and friends get torn apart in the past few years because they've been fooled by politicians into choosing sides along party lines of Team Democrat, Team Republican. We've adopted their talking points and we shout, shout these talking points at one another and we've stopped having real conversations and listening to one another. I mean, we're fighting about unimportant like cultural I- issues of identity politics, like gender bathrooms, um, things that they can care less about. Meanwhile, they're stealing from us and our children's futures, taking away our rights, sending our kids off to die in wars, literally stealing like with these, these bailouts. And here's the truth. If you make less than $100 million per year, like I do, like I'm guessing everybody listening to this does, then guess what? Government's not on your side. Not Obama, if he's your boyfriend. Not Trump, if he's your boyfriend. Not Clinton, either one of them. Not Bush. None of them. The elite, rich, and powerful, they use their power and wealth to gain more power and wealth. That's literally all they care about. The Republicans and Democrats, they, they differ only in rhetoric. And when it comes to voting on stealing rights, like the Patriot Act, or voting on stealing your money like the bailouts or going to wars to enrich themselves, they always vote 100% unanimous together. I mean, this last bailout that was $2 trillion, it was bipartisan. 100 100 senators voted yes on that. When do you ever see the Senate in complete bipartisan agreement? I'll tell you when. It's only when you're getting screwed. So it's time for us to stop the infighting And realize that the teams aren't Republican and Democrat. The teams are us, the people, the 99.99%, and them, the elite. The elite are the billionaires, the politicians, the media. And it's, it's these people, they're all controlled by the same interests. Their team, you know, look, their team gets rich off war. Our team loses family members to war. Their team gets rich off of bailouts and uses the bailouts to buy up assets that we lose. The last bailout in, in 2009, they gave it like, what, $900 billion to the banks? Those banks took that money. They didn't lend it out to you. 
They took that money and put it in reserves and continued making risky investments. And then when you lost your house and when the stock market tumbled, they went in and bought low and got rich off it. That's what they do. That's what those bailouts were. They, they gain power every time legislation gets passed. Who makes the legislation? The senators. Well, kind of. The senators vote on it, but almost all legislation is, is written by lobbyists. Lobbyists. That's who writes all of our bills. And every time one of those bills goes through, whether you think it helps you or not, it doesn't. It helps the rich get richer. And it strips away our freedoms and our control of our own finances. And they're able to get away with this because they have us confused and fighting with each other over things that aren't important, like who uses what bathroom um, or which celebrity said whatever politically correct thing. Um, they, they get us to fight over issues that they have no intention of changing, things like immigration, you know, they argue about immigration, but there's no intention of, of changing it one way or another. Both sides benefit from the immigration policy as it is. Um, they, they distract us with the rhetoric on this stuff that they have no intention of changing while they're robbing us blind, stealing our liberty and starting wars that kill our children and kill other innocent children overseas while simultaneously selling weapons to our enemies. Did you know that? We'll get into that later. I'm gonna, we're going to get into all kinds of things. We're going to go through the history of the government. Um, and, and we're not going to get into conspiracy theories. We're just going to talk about facts. Things that have happened where the government documents back it up. Things that you know sometimes didn't get released till 30, 40 years later when all the important people who would care about it are dead. Um, but we created both Al-Qaeda and ISIS. Literally created them, literally gave them money, literally sold them weapons. Um, we create our enemies, then we create wars and spend money to fight those enemies. And they get rich the whole time. Um, so look, I know a lot of you, a lot of listeners of this show, you're liberal. Um, a lot of you are conservative. And that's fine. It's fine to have healthy debates on philosophical differences. You know, conservatives largely believe in small government and low taxes and limited intrusion into our lives. And liberal largely believe that government is here to protect the weakest and poorest among us to create a more fair playing field, right? That's, in a nutshell, that's, that's what liberals and conservatives are in a, in a nutshell. I realize that doesn't completely sum it up, but point is, the truth is, neither liberals or conservatives are getting what you want, regardless of who is in power. Because the people in power aren't liberals or conservatives. The people in power are elitists. When the Republicans have been in power, like look back to the George Bush era, they did nothing to shrink down the size and power of government. In the Trump era, they've spent more money than any other government before. And when the Democrats are in power, they've done nothing to help the weak and poor. Black America has gotten dramatically dramatically worse under every democratic rule. So the truth is they both work tirelessly to expand the size and power of government because that gives them more power. And that's what they're all about, power and money. And they work tirelessly to make sure the financial interests of the rich and elite, them and their cohorts are protected at all costs, including intentionally creating bubbles in the economy. They do that. They create bubbles. 
and starting wars that we shouldn't be fighting as we get to. So, you know, none of the people who represent you in Congress are liberal or conservative. They don't respect you. They don't relate to you. They don't represent you. And the sooner we can all recognize that, and instead of arguing with your buddy, Tommy, who's a conservative and you're a liberal, instead of arguing about um, Trump or Nancy Pelosi, recognize that neither one of them are on your team. Okay, they're, they're going to say things that you agree with once in a while, but it's just lip service. All they care about is power and wealth. I, it's gotten a lot worse in the last 20 years. And during this COVID situation, it's coming to a head. And that's why it's time to talk about it and, and bond together. The United States government, as far as I can see, has become a legalized crime syndicate. I mean, they will break your legs and then give you a crutch. I mean, that's what this most recent $2 trillion bailout was. They caused the economy to crash in the 90s. They caused it. I mean, we're getting into all that, but they caused it with, with banking rules and, and their credit default swaps and the housing industry and, and the idea that everybody had to be able to buy a house. They caused it, okay? They also caused this one. And then they voted unanimously back then and this time for handouts to the bankers. And then they throw a handful of change out the window to you as they drive by laughing, right? Uh, in this most recent bill, the $2 trillion bill, everybody got like $1,200. $1,200, yeah, that's nice, but you're out of work. And every citizen in America has accumulated $60,000 of new debt because of this $2 trillion. The $2 trillion was just mostly given to the banks and they're going to do the same thing they did in 2009. They're going to buy up the assets low. They've already started doing it. That's why the stock market's making a comeback. Your 401k went down the shitter. It dropped down to 19, 20,000. A lot of people panicked and sold. The banks got out early, saw it drop down. Now they buy it back up. They're getting rich on the way back up. People are going to lose their houses. Not right now because I understand nobody, they can't foreclose, but people will lose their houses. The housing market's going to take a dump. They're going to buy it all up. I mean, they literally, to understand a bailout, and we're going to get into the Federal Reserve, and I know the Federal Reserve, it, it, it can be kind of boring, but I want you to hang in there with me because it's important. And it's not boring when you understand what's going on. It's, it's a heist. They printed $2 trillion out of thin air. They didn't gather up $2 trillion. They, they just printed it. In fact, they don't even really print it anymore. They just, they just create it digitally on, on computers. But we pay for it. We pay for it because our taxes are going to have to be higher to pay that debt back. Right now, the, I think the, the overall debt of the American, of our country, is it's getting close to $30 trillion. And before all this, we were barely able to pay the interest payments on our debt. At some point, we're not even going to be able to do that. So they're going to have to raise taxes. But more importantly, it's inflation. What is inflation? Inflation is just flooding the market with money. Okay, so what it does is it makes the price of things go up. And they, and they try to tell you this is a natural occurring phenomena, but it's not. Deflation is actually naturally occurring. And you've probably already seen this when you go to the grocery store and things are already more expensive. That's part because... Uh, this part because of the inflation. It's also part because the supply chain's a little bit interrupted because we don't have everybody working. 
But let, they took the money, that $2 trillion, and most of it went to the banks or went to big corporate companies like the airlines. Okay, The airlines got a lot of money. And let me ask you this. Why? Why do we need to save the airline companies? They did the same thing with the, the car companies during the, the Obama administration. Why do we need to save those companies? Why, what's going to happen if we don't save those companies? Is, is it going to become impossible? If United Airlines and American Airlines, if they fail, Delta, all of them, let's say they all fail, does that mean it's going to be impossible for you and I to get on a plane and fly across the country? No. The, the, there will still be a demand for flights. The airplanes will still exist. A more responsible company will come in, buy up those assets, and start an airline company. A more responsible company who keeps a balanced budget and doesn't require us to bail them out when things get bad. I've run several small businesses. We always balanced our books. If we didn't do well, you know, the government's not going to bail us out. They're not going to rush in and bail us out. We're going to go out of business and my competitor is going to take over. You know, my, my friend's clothing boutique is going out of business because they couldn't endure three months of the lockdown, shockingly, like much of America. So is, is the government insisting that we bail them out? Hell no. In fact, by them going out of business, that's good for Walmart, who's two blocks away. So they like that. They like when the small business goes out of way. They like monopolies. They like consolidating the power and wealth at the top. All of this is good for them. Coronavirus is good for them. That's what I want to get across to you. You've heard the expression, I'm sure, never let a good tragedy go to waste, right? We heard that in 2001 at, at 9-11. We heard that in 2009. We, we're hearing it now. We hear it from Democrats. We hear it from Republicans. It's true. They make a lot of money and they also push through a lot of legislation under the guise of this is going to help you guys, the common man, but it never does. Never helps you. It just helps them consolidate that power and wealth to the top. So, okay, back to us versus them. Are there differences between Democrats and Republicans? Yes, of course there are. The, the, the difference is they can't all be in power at the same time. So they pull whatever dirty tricks they need to pull to take power from each other. You know, they're li they will lie, steal, and cheat to get that power. They get hard-ons for that power. Nancy Pelosi's got a hard-on like this for that power. They all do, okay? So you can't trust what they say because they all will say whatever they need to say to improve their chances of getting elected. They lie, okay? So are there differences? In rhetoric, there's differences, but for the most part, they believe in the same things, but they're going to struggle back and forth trying to get that power with each other. So for, for example, about the lies or about saying whatever, and I don't want to pick on Barack Obama because believe me, we're going to pick on all of them, all of them. But in 1996, Barack Obama supported gay marriage when he was running to be a senator in his very liberal district. Okay, so he supported it. 1996, he's trying to get elected state Senate. It's a liberal district. Yeah, I'm pro-gay marriage. Yeah, vote for me. I'm pro-gay marriage. But then, 11 years later, running for president, suddenly he's against gay marriage. Okay, what changed? Well, he's running for president, so he's trying to appeal to the whole country. And at that time, he thought, I don't know if it's true, but he thought the overwhelming majority opinion of the country was that we should not have gay marriage. But then, by 2010, he seemed to think the tide had changed 
and he was for it again. Now, do you think Barack Obama changed his mind about gay marriage three times? No, of course not. I don't think Barack Obama gives a shit one way or another about gay marriage. I don't think any of them do. That's, that's the point. They don't care about these social issues that they get you all fired up about. Those are the issues they use to get you at each other's throats. They care about money and power, crashing the economy, making some money, letting it run back up, crashing it again, sending you to war to fight their war so they can get those government contracts to build those weapons. In 2000, okay, just to be fair and balanced here, let's, let's get on President Bush. In 2000, President Bush campaigned and said he was against, this is funny, said he was against nation building and foreign military entanglements. Okay? 2000, President Bush was against nation building. Meanwhile, by 2004, he had troops fighting in six countries, six different countries in the Middle East, and, and was pretty much his whole presidency was about nation building. They're going to say whatever they think will get them support and get them votes. And that's if they can't steal the votes. And regardless of what their rhetoric is, they govern the same way. Obama, Trump, they both talked about ending the wars. They, because by then the wars were very unpopular. Neither one of them has ended any wars. Neither one of them. And I actually believe that Trump may have wanted to end the wars. But by the time you get in there, that machine is so strong. Good fucking luck. All these politicians are controlled by the same wealthy puppeteers who are pulling the strings on on the useless marionette who are the politicians all you need to do is look at the super PACs that fund their campaigns all the politicians all of them are funded by the same group of elites they all have super PACs you can't you cannot become president of the united states without a giant super PAC running behind you impossible i mean I, someday it might be possible with with social media right? Because that's the only other way to get the kind of reach that you need is with a, some kind of giant social media campaign. And Trump actually kind of got close to that, but he even needed the super PACs, okay? And so in theory, it's possible, but I guarantee you what would happen is if a candidate started making headway and he wasn't down with what's going on with the, with, with the elites, the media wouldn't cover him and they'd find a way to destroy him. They're not going to let it happen. So, I mean, is it possible for there to be such a, uh, such a thing as a good politician? Is that even possible? Yeah, yeah, certainly. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of good people who get into politics on the local and maybe even the state level. But when you get to that national level, either you aren't a good person or you are no longer a good person because you've got to sell your soul out to these people to get that far. That's just the reality of it. It's just about money, what I've said up until now. But let's not ignore what these politicians are doing to our freedoms. Right now, especially. And we're going to go through what they've done to our freedoms for the last hundred years because it's pretty gross. This country was founded on liberty. And we're getting pretty far away from that. But specifically right now, they've locked us up now for three months. They tell us it's for our own safety. Okay, fine. But then why is the media repressing information that doesn't fit their narrative? 
We've seen video after video taken down off of YouTube from doctors because the information they're putting out there doesn't jive with that mainstream narrative. Um, we're seeing, we don't see any of that kind of stuff on CNN or MSNBC. And if it was really about protecting the American people, then you wouldn't see the approach to dealing with coronavirus split straight down party lines. Just like 9-11 and 2009, these politicians are using the tragedy for, for political gain. It's what they always do. Now, I happen to be right now on team, I, I, I'm agreeing with what the Republicans want to do, get us back to work. But that doesn't mean I'm on team Republican because I know very well what they're up to. Both of the parties are just doing what is politically expedient for them in this moment. Democrats are forcing us to stay indoors, forcing people to lose their jobs, forcing businesses to go belly up because a failed economy means that come November, they get the power back. That's what it's all about. Republicans, they want us to go back to work because they need this economy to build back up by November. Because if this economy shit, they're going to lose that power. And I'm, I, I want us to go back to work. I, I believe that's the right thing to do. And also, at the very least, we should have the freedom to make that choice for ourselves. I'm on Team Liberty. But I'm not... I'm not getting in bed with the Republicans. I know what they're about. It's all political. <laughs> you know, and the proof is, look at, look at the Republicans after 2001 and 9-11, right? They proved that they're not about liberty. They shoved that Patriot, Patriot Act down our throats, giving themselves the power to spy on us. And again, that was another thing that was bipartisan, 100 to nothing. Giving the federal government the power to spy on our phone calls, our text messages, insane. And they, and they told us that they were doing that for our safety, just like they're telling us now. Anyway, personal liberty, it's important. It's important because power is corrupting and absolute power is absolutely corrupting. We've seen that through history over and over again, and we're seeing it now again. If we surrender our freedoms because of fear, we're never going to get those freedoms back. You don't surrender a freedom for a little bit of time and then it comes back to you. If we surrender our freedoms now, we will live under tyranny. And if this disease is as deadly as the media has tried to scare you into believing it is, then people will be scared of it and they'll make smart, responsible decisions that they should. But we shouldn't willingly let them dictate to us what we can and cannot do. And we already know it's not as dangerous as they made it out to be. We already know it. And that's not to say this disease is not dangerous. It's real. I work in healthcare. I know it's real. My wife works in a hospital. I can, we can see it's killing people. And it shouldn't be trivialized. Trivialized, excuse me. But it's not what they made it out to be. And everybody knows this now. To pretend otherwise is insane. It's not what they said it was. And I don't want to be the I told you so guy. I really don't. I mean, everybody hates the I told you so guy. So I'm going to try not to do that. But I want to give you a little context. In 2001, I opposed the Iraq war from day one. Everybody now does now, and it's easy to do now. But back then, people were calling me un-American for that. Okay, Because that's, that's the narrative that the elites put out there. If you oppose this war, you're un-American. And that's how they get everybody on board. In 2009, I opposed the bailouts. Again, they called that un-American. 
Nowadays, they're doing that. They're calling you, they're not calling you un-American. They're calling you a Nazi who wants black and brown people to die if you think the lockdowns are wrong. They, they, because that's the new move now is to use uh, identity politics to get people to comply and obey and fall in line. Don't, don't let them shame you into a position by, by telling you you're racist. It's silly and it's bullshit and don't fall for it. If there's a bipartisan support for a law or policy, this is, this is a rule. You know, I, I've studied this stuff a lot and um, I, I reached conclusions on it. And, and to, look at, to look at anything, you got to dig deep, right? But I've kind of come up with this rule of thumb that's a, a kind of cheat code for people if you don't have a ton of time to pay attention. And it almost never fails. If there's unanimous bipartisan support for a bill or a policy or a law or, or, or anything, really, you can almost guarantee yourself that you're getting fucked. Bank on it. Okay? You're getting fucked if they agree. <sighs> People, you know, a lot, of, a lot of my friends, my family... My, even my wife, she used to, she says, you know, you used to be so liberal and now it seems like you've switched teams and you're conservative. And that's a problem. It, it's the problem is that everybody sees things in terms of teams, right? He's pro gay marriage. So he's liberal. He's not on my team. I'm conservative. He's pro second amendment. So he's a conservative. I'm liberal. He's not my, on my team. That's what people do. They tend to choose their side based on only a couple issues that they identify with strongly the elite they know that and the leaders then make a big deal out of those points and they point at the other team they say evil bad they want to take your guns evil bad they want to they don't want to let you get an abortion and then the whole everybody falls in line don't fall for it don't be part of those teams be part of team us you're not going to agree with everything i say it would be ridiculous if you did. You're not going to agree with everything probably your siblings say, even, even your wife or husband. Okay, You're an individual. But don't fall in line with these parties. I've never considered myself to be a part of one of these pretend teams. I believe in freedom and personal responsibility. Always believed in those things. People thought I was a liberal 10 years ago because I was very vocal about gay marriage and legalizing marijuana. Freedom, you know, freedom. People should have the right to get married. People should have the right to light up a joint. I feel the same way about heroin, honestly. You probably don't agree with that, and that's fine. Now, nowadays, people think I'm a conservative because I think we should be able to go outside and work if we want because I call out identity politics for being the bullshit that they are. I'm neither of those things, okay? Don't let them fool you into choosing sides. All right, so let's let's get on with it. That that was a very long intro. I didn't I didn't mean to rant like that. Um, I'm going to slow it down from here. I'm going to walk you through government and how they've hijacked your freedoms and stolen from you. And I researched this stuff. Um, I sourced it, and we're going to go chronologically, starting back from the early 1900s. I'm not going to bore you with everything the government has lied to you. About all the way from then till now, that would be very, very boring podcast. I'm only going to discuss the things that are still pertinent to your life today. And with that, we're going to start in 1913 with the Federal Reserve. All right. Now, the Federal Reserve Act, 1913. 
excuse me, thirsty. Um, Federal Reserve, I know you want to tune out, but don't. It's give me five minutes on this, and I promise you it'll be an interesting. Most people love a good heist story, and I promise you that without exaggeration, the Federal Reserve is the greatest heist in human history. Its second place isn't even close. The federal the, the story about the Federal Reserve makes Ocean Eleven seem like like Ocean's one and a half. Corny but true. Okay. In the most simple terms, the Federal Reserve is the money branch of government. Except the Federal Reserve is not actually owned by the government. It's owned by bankers. Hmm. That seems weird, right? The Federal Reserve, who sets all of our monetary policy and basically operates as the money branch of government, it's not owned by the government. It's owned by bankers. People hear that and they they can't believe it's true. Look it up. Okay. So anyway, in the early 1900s, the bankers got together and they spent a lot of money to buy politicians, you know, lobbying and convince them that America needed a central bank to set our monetary policy and that they, the bankers, should be the one who owned the bank and set the monetary policy. And the politicians pushed it through because why? Because politicians are whores who will do anything for money and power. So anyway, so the Federal Reserve Bank is created and it's given the power to set all of our monetary policy. They can print money whenever they want. And they set the interest rate at whatever they want. Those three things. Print the money, set the interest rate, set all the monetary policy. They have that power. These privately private owners of the Federal Reserve. The owners of the Federal Reserve are now not even known. It's a mystery. They operate in complete secrecy. <laughs> but by the law, they are allowed to personally profit on the policies that they set. In 1913, when they pushed this idea through our government, The owners of the Federal Reserve were set up to be the heads of the banks, and I would imagine that's still the case, but we don't know because it's a completely guarded secret. And because this bank is privately owned, the government can't even audit them. They set the monetary policy for the country, and we can't even audit them. Okay, so before we get too deep into the Federal Reserve, let's let's review here. They print money whenever they want. They give that money, they, they print money, Federal Reserve prints money or creates it digitally. They then give it to the banks that they own. So they decide to print money, they give it to the banks that they own, and then they take that money, the banks take that money, and lend it out to you at an interest rate, okay? Print money out of thin air, charge people for it. They get rich, and, and this happens every single year. Every year, they print no, new money, and it gets handed out in a process called quantitative easing, which is pretty boring, um, but it's important. So look that up on your time too. They, 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 buy, they basically buy assets from the banks that they own. Um, and now because of quantitative easing, the Federal Reserve is the largest owner of land in America. Okay. Again, privately owned Federal Reserve. So then during a bailout, they, they do this annually, but then also during a bailout, they do it again. 
like they just did for $2 trillion and like they did in 2009. They lend it out. They, they give this money to the banks at an interest rate that they set. Right now, the interest rate is zero. So the banks don't even really have to pay it back and they don't even really have to pay it back ever anyway. Okay. It never gets paid back. But the banks are supposed to take that money and lend it out to you, especially after a bailout. That did not happen in 2009, and you can bet it's not going to happen now. They take the money, and they, they put it in their reserves so that they have some good reserves, and then they continue making the same risky investments that they were making that got us into these messes. Now, of course, coronavirus got us into the mess this time, but we were, we were going to have another one of these anyway. It was about that time. And in 2009, it happened because of their, their risky gambles. So yeah, look up quantitative easing, look up the Federal Reserve. But by controlling the monetary policy, controlling the interest rate, controlling inflation, they can manufacture a recession whenever they want. And they do. I mean, we've had a recession almost every decade of my life. So you, 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 you might think, Matt, why, why, why would they want to create a recession? Well, I think I already covered that in the intro, but they get rich. That's why. The market goes up, they make money on the way up, they get out, the market crashes, they get out at the top, the market crashes, middle-class America loses 401ks, middle-class America loses houses, middle-class middle America loses lots of things, they get bailed out by the government, they take that money, they buy those assets cheap, and then the assets start rising again. Middle-class America starts fighting back. It takes middle-class America five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years to get back to where they were. Most people are just now getting back to where they were after 2009, and then they do it to you all over again. And every time, they are stealing, sucking, siphoning that wealth out of the middle class, and that is why the wealth gap has grown so much in the last 40 years. Every time one of these recessions happens, they are able to steal some of that wealth away from the middle class and then put the debt back on you in the form of a bailout, put the debt back on you in, in the form of inflation, the, the, the crazy rate of borrowing and printing money and government spending has led to outrageous inflation. It's why a movie in 1970 cost five cents and now it costs $12. If they would stop printing money, a movie would still be five cents, right? It's theft. It's, it's just straight up theft. It's a recession is nothing more than a way for the wealthy to extract wealth out of the middle class. Manu they're manufactured and they're predictable. And those of you who are just recovering from 2009, you're getting hit with another one right now. So how else does the Federal Reserve negatively impact your life? Well, just keep in mind that every time the Fed prints more money, the value of that money decreases. That's what inflation is. It's, it's supply and demand, okay? So let's say you're on an island, right? You're on a, a deserted island with a dozen people and there's six banana trees and 50 coconut trees, okay? Well, if you have one of those banana trees, it's got a lot of value. There's only six of them and there's 12 of you. You could probably trade that banana tree for four or five coconut trees because they, there's a lot more of those and they are not in as much demand. It's the same with money. If you're worth $100,000 and there's only $5 billion floating around the economy, you've got a, a, a high percentage of that money and you could probably buy quite a bit with your $100,000.
But if the Federal Reserve inflates the currency from $5 billion to $50 trillion, well, now everybody has a lot more money. You have a much smaller percentage of it, and everything's going to cost more. Supply and demand. Okay? So they continue to push inflation while stealing the bulk of that money out, and inflation rises faster than does your wealth, and you get more and more poor. Meanwhile, their wealth grows faster than inflation, and they get more and more rich. Hope that makes sense. I mean, that's kind of the idea behind things like Bitcoin and gold is uh, Bitcoin is a finite resource. Now, I'm not going to try to explain Bitcoin to you because, frankly, I don't understand it well enough, but I know it's a finite resource. It's, It's generated by computer code, by solving a mathematical problem. Um, and there's a limited amount of Bitcoin that will ever be out there. So the value of Bitcoin should continue to rise. Same with gold. There's a finite amount of gold. The Federal Reserve can't just say, hey, we're going to make more gold. So the value of gold is very stable and it rises. <clears throat> Unless people want it less. So anyway, moving on. How else does the Federal Reserve negatively impact your life? Okay. By giving the banks control of printing the money, they, they're they guaranteed to be able to keep you in debt for your entire life. Almost everybody's in debt. Almost everybody I know. Okay? You buy a house. You buy a car. You start a business. You go to college. Any of these things, you borrow their money, and they charge you interest on the money that they decided to print and give to the banks to lend to you. And you become indebted to them, and they get rich on the interest they get rich on, on the work you do to pay back the money at a ridiculous rate. Well, you could say, well, you, you know, Matt, nobody's forcing you to take a loan. And that's true. But by inflating the market with money and then getting involved with the, and then letting government get involved with those markets, they're able to pretty much force you to take that loan. For example, as we're, we're, we're going to get into it later, college education used to be very affordable. In the 1970s, you could afford to go to college without taking a loan. Credits, I don't know what they were, $100. Or I, I have this statistic somewhere, not right in front of me, but college was affordable. But then what happened is the government came in and they started guaranteeing loans for everybody. Everybody should be able to go to college. We're going to guarantee a loan. So... Their hand, government's handing out money and then they're, they're making it so that even if you get in a position where you have to declare bankruptcy, you can't get out of that loan. So everybody starts borrowing money to go to college. Of course, when the universities see that anybody can take a loan, they start jacking that price up, jacking that price up, jacking up. That. And now nobody can go to college without taking a loan unless you're a multi-billionaire, millionaire. Same thing happened with the housing market. Okay, the government decided to stick its nose into the housing market with Frannie Mae and Freddie Mac, and they start handing out loans to everybody. Okay, Um, and they then they come up with policies during the Bush years that everybody should be able to get a house. So by doing that, making loans available to everybody, everybody starts getting in on this housing game, and that price of houses start skyrocketing. Of course, that creates a bubble. And a lot of those people who borrowed money for those houses could not afford to pay them back. And the whole thing collapsed. People lost their houses. 
Banks come in, scoop them up, buy them cheap, sell them back to you 10 years later. It's just a giant, giant scam. And it's all because of the Federal Reserve. And, you know, I don't know if you know a guy named Ron Paul. He came around in like 2004, maybe, and, and ran for president in 2008. And he made a lot of headway, a lot of headway, a lot of popularity. And he was talking mostly about the Federal Reserve, which is surprising. People really cared about the Federal Reserve. And he talked a lot about the wars um, and freedoms. Okay. And he was making some real headway in the Republican Party. He's a libertarian, but he ran as a Republican. And then, of course, like we talked about what happened, the media shut him down. They, they pretended he did not exist when he was polling. When he was number one in, what's the first state they do? Iowa? Idaho? Don't know. Doesn't matter. He was polling number one. Wouldn't even get any run in the media. They just pretended like he did not exist because he was bad for them. But he woke a lot of people up to ideas like this. That was 12 years ago. People have forgotten. So let's try to remember. One thing people don't realize is that inflation inflation discourages savings. Now, why would that be? Well, if you have cash and you put it in the bank, your interest rate right now, I don't even know if you get 1%. Inflation is happening at a much higher rate than that. Um, so you're almost forced to put your money into the stock market or the housing market or one of these markets where you're going to get basically around 5 to 7% passively in a mutual fund, right? Well, okay, so they force you to put your money there. Otherwise, you're, you're, lo- you're actually losing money. Putting money in a savings account, you are losing money against inflation. So when you take it out a decade from now, you will have less purchasing power with that savings than you had when you put it in there in the first place. So of course, it makes sense to put it, let's say, in a mutual fund where you're going to get 5 to 7%, okay? Well, now they have you because now you're going to fall victim to one of their manufactured recessions. The market's going to tank. You're not going to get out on top because you don't know when it's coming. It's going to tank. You're probably stick in or you might panic and sell low and then they buy it up and they make the money on the way back up. Okay. So the Fed and the government are actually discouraging saving. They discourage saving. And, And if you don't believe me that recessions are good for these people. Just just look at what's going on in this one, okay? Since this recession began, since the market took a giant dump, sales at Walmart are up 74% and their stock is at a record high. Amazon sales are at 20 up 26% and their stock's at a record high. Target sales are up 141%. 141% they've doubled, more than doubled. Facebook has added shopping to their platform and their stock is at a record high. But meanwhile, businesses, small businesses like mine, like, like most small businesses, they're down 40%. So they've extracted that wealth from the small businesses and pushed it to the top by forcing everybody to stay at home, but allowing Amazon and Walmart and Target and Facebook to continue to operate. They're trying to tell you it's for your own safety, but it's not. It's it's about theft. Bailouts steal wealth from the middle class and put it in the pockets of the wealthy. The Federal Reserve is designed to do that. And if you don't believe me, just look at what has happened to the wealth inequality since the Federal Reserve was created in 1913. 
and look at what happened even more, more hyperinflation, more gap in, in the wealth since we went off the gold standard in the 1970s, which we will talk about later because um, that's kind of complicated. But, but our money, at least until the 70s, was backed by gold. Now it's backed by nothing but confidence. So again, the government, they're going to break your knees and then give you a crutch, throw crumbs in your face, give you Netflix, uh, let your marijuana be legal, let your alcohol uh, be attainable during, during a lockdown, just whatever they can do to keep you passive, stupid, and uh, non-combative while they steal from you. They're not the good guys. So look, man, if the fact that there is a that the monetary policy of the United States is set by a group of secret members, likely bank owners, who decide how much money to print and when, if that doesn't enrage you, if everything I told you about them doesn't enrage you, then you should probably stop listening and just come back next week when I'm back with B and, and, and uh, get into a fun parenting episode. Um, Cause I, I get enraged talking about it and you should be enraged cause they're stealing from you. All right. So I want to talk about one more thing and then we're going to end this episode. Like I said, we're going to do six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 parts. I don't know. This is going to be a series us versus them. I want to talk to you about the interest tax, tax interest loophole. Give me a second. Take a sip. Now, I hate paying taxes. I'm pretty sure everybody hates paying taxes. I'd mind paying taxes less if the burden of taxation was spread fairly among all of us. And if I could get a say in how my tax dollars were spent, that's not how it is. The government is controlled by the rich elite, as we've talked about. So the tax code, just like our laws, is written by the elite. The tax code gets written by the same friggin' lobbyists that write everything. And all the breaks from the tax code benefit the elite. So whenever you hear a liberal saying he, they want greater taxes because they want some of that money to be redistributed to the poor, well, I get that theory, and that, that makes you seem like a compassionate person. That is a compassionate position. But the reality is that's not what happens. The taxes go up, you pay more in taxes, and that money goes right back in the pockets of the elite. It doesn't go down. It doesn't trickle down. Like, like they say, the trickle-down economy isn't real. No, it's not real because government makes sure that money stays up at the top. And that's what government does with the tax code. We need to get them out of the way. The money would trickle down if we could get government out of the way, if we could get government to stop shoveling, to stop bailing it out, throwing it back up at the top. The tax code's thousands of pages long. Nobody really even understands the tax code. Your best CPA doesn't understand all that tax code. There's lines of code that give specific breaks to a very tiny, specific fraction of society. There's, there's lines of code in the tax code that are written specifically by a lobbyist for one specific company. And there's thousands of those lines. I could spend a whole podcast laying out all the theft and redistribution of your money that happens in the tax code. But for now, I just want to talk about one, one of these things. And that's the, the interest tax loophole. Carried interest. It's called the carried interest tax loophole. Okay, what is that? 
you and I, we pay income tax, right? And most of us are taxed at 32% and above of our income plus state tax on top of that. So if you're out here with me in California, you're paying damn near 50%. Then you got sales tax and then you have a property tax. By the end of it, you're taxed about 60%. It's ridiculous. Okay? Hedge fund managers who are the wealthiest among us and contribute nothing to society. A hedge fund manager contributes no productivity to society. They're basically legalized gamblers. And they're not, you can't even really call them gamblers because they have a massive advantage over everybody else because they, they have a lot of inside information. They are paid on a percentage of the overall gains of their hedge funds for a year. Okay, so their payment. So if you invest, let's say, a million dollars with them and they turn it into a million point one, there's a hundred thousand profit. They would get, let's say, I don't know, five percent of that profit. That's what they get paid. They get paid commission. But they aren't taxed like you and I. They, that money they get, those commissions, they don't get taxed at the 32% and above of ordinary income. Their commissions get taxed as capital gains, which is 15%. That's, that's one line of code that fucks you and I and helps the elite. They get taxed at a lower rate than you about half and that's before they write off pretty much damn near everything for one thing or another from all the other lines of code in there so when you're told that it's patriotic to pay your taxes or that it's compassionate to pay your taxes that's the elite lying to you and scamming you they expect you to shoulder a disproportionate amount of the tax burden okay they don't pay their taxes or at least not to the same degree that you do And when the government determines where to spend those dollars, so the tax dollars go out of your pocket into the government's pocket. Where do they spend that that money? Well, sure, they give some crumbs to the poor. You know, there's some welfare and and there's, there's, you know, food stamps and whatnot. They give enough to keep everybody passive and chill. And that's the problem. We're all passive. We're all chill. We're all content. They give us just enough. But the majority of that money goes back in the pockets of the elite. They get the no-bid contracts. We'll talk about that later. They get, they're get they the weapons manufacturers, uh, the oil companies. That's where those tax dollars, the majority of it goes. And yes, a lot of it goes to Medicare. You're, you're going to say, well, a lot of it goes to Medicare and Social Security. Yeah, but where do those Medicare dollars ultimately end up? In the pocket of the elites. When you go to the hospital and you get a hip replacement and it's, Why is it $300,000? Because of legislation written by these lobbyists to make sure that money ends up back in the pockets of the elite. And that's how the whole of society is. Paying taxes isn't patriotic. Fighting taxes is patriotic. Giving money to a desperate man you see on the street is patriotic. Donating to a church or a a community or a charity. That's patriotic. Paying taxes is you willingly being robbed by your government, by the elite. And it's literally, fighting taxes is literally the thing our founding fathers went to war over to gain our independence. And now you've let them trick you into believing that paying taxes is patriotic. Fuck that. Fuck that. All right, guys. Um, 
like I said, this is a different kind of show. This is going to be a series. Um, I intended to get through a lot more. I wanted to get through the Spanish flu and uh, the 18th Amendment and, and prohibition of alcohol and a bunch of stuff, but we'll get to it. All right. I'm going to stop it there because we are already um, about a half hour in. I, I, I ranted more than I wanted to. Um, I hope uh, you enjoyed it. Or I hope you listened. I hope you learned something. And um, give me some feedback. Let me know if, if this is something I should keep doing or if I'm just speaking into the abyss and nobody gives a shit. And then we can just get back to the cute parenting stuff. All right? All right. I love you guys. Stay safe out there.